This is Rugga Matrix America. Hey, welcome to the show, everybody. This is Alex Goff from Goff Rugby Report. Coming to you with the show brought to you by Aircraft Charter Solutions. And this time around, it's actually just me. No Pat, no Bruce. Uh, and really the only reason is because I had a couple of guests to talk to and some audio from uh, uh, people from uh, Las Vegas at the USA 7s and the LVI and, uh, and and just about everybody being there. So because of that, I figured we'd uh, use them as the guests and let them speak for uh, what they have to say. And then Bruce and Pat can chime in on the next one. Uh, so most of you know that uh, you know used to work for Rugby Mag, RugbyMag.com, and we parted ways. And in fact, Rugby Mag changed their name to Rugby Today, which is where Pat still writes. Um, I started Golf Rugby Report, uh, doing a little bit more aggressively writing about high school and college, but also the national teams. And uh, you might think, seeing as the the company that owns what is now Rugby Today uh, also runs the USA 7th and the LVI, you might think that when I went there with my managing editor, Jackie Finland, that we had a crummy time, that we were in grouchy moods, and we didn't really want to talk about it that much. Um, And really, uh, it's quite the opposite. We had a great time. It was uh, a, a wonderful tournament, a really good weekend for American rugby when that happens. Uh, there are some things that they could do a little bit better, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But uh, overall, it went very, very well. It doesn't ha- hurt that the weather was great. It doesn't hurt that uh, the USA national team was playing well going into Vegas, which is an extremely rare thing for that to happen. So they'd, they'd made the top eight the last, uh, last two times out, and they made the top four actually in Vegas, which was great. Really good for the crowd, and, and I believe the crowd was up. Now, uh, all of that's going to um, help. I, I think it's going to help the game. Uh, it, it can't help but help the game when more people go to events like this, and we're going to see more of this kind of bigger stuff. I think uh, USA Rugby is actually going to benefit, has benefited from just sort of the growth of the idea that uh, players can be fans. And uh, actually, I was thinking back to looking at the footage for some of the some of the USA games this past year, and there were players, there are active players that I recognize, players who are who tried to get on the national team, didn't quite make it, who I saw in the crowd uh, cheering for the USA. That's actually not something that used to happen a lot. You would get players that if they didn't make the Eagles, they would kind of be soured on it to the point of that they wouldn't even want to pay, if, you know, 20, 30, 40 dollars to go see the Eagles play. That has changed. And I think well, that's really good for the game. Now, uh, speaking of the Eagles 15s, uh, we did, or I did, catch up with USA National Team head coach Mike Tolkien, who was also in Las Vegas, and um, we had a nice time talking, we had a nice chat, and here's that interview. So here we are with Mike Tolkien, USA men's 15s head coach, um, here we are in Las Vegas, and Mike... Um, Las Vegas is all about sevens, so first of all, uh, I'm curious as to why you're here. 
Um, not that you shouldn't be, you know, it's, you know, coming here to have fun, but uh, um, what's your, what's your, uh, what are your work goals for being uh, here? The first thing is uh, checking out a few of the games uh, at the LVI uh, on that Olympic club. We had uh, NorCal playing Texas, so I got to see a few of those guys uh, in action, which was good, so it was always, uh, always good to check up on, on that. And the second thing is, uh, you know, we have, a, we have a number of crossover guys playing, so it's good to see them playing live. I don't get to see some of them too often. Uh, and thirdly, it's a you know it's a, it's a fun fun tournament to be at. So wrap all those things together. Uh, you uh, you've got players on your list, and as you said, you know there are people you just want to see. Um, is it difficult to see if you're seeing someone play sevens? Is it difficult to say he's gonna? You know, how does that translate to fifteens? Um, or you experience that, it's no problem. I think that you can you can see uh, a guy who's certainly going to be a good candidate. You know whether whether he works out being an impact player in seven in fifteens. You know that, that is less to be answered. But I think you could see the guys and the, the, that they're going to be a talent. Um, and that's easy. Uh, that's the easy part of sevens. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the uh, level of athlete. I mean, do, do you do you like the level of athlete you're seeing? I mean, even if it's just someone you don't know, who's never going to make the national team but you're just seeing who they who, who people are playing against the kinds of types of guys who are on the field yeah I think I think I think you see a few things I think you see uh, obviously physical characteristics in terms of fitness size ability and uh, physicality uh, I think you see people who have uh, in terms of decision making and taking chances you see people who have some real real guts to them and what they do and, and in, in sevens it's all a lot of it is taking chances and backing yourself and you see guys who are real real determined I think some guys are very obvious and Colin Isles has a ton of confidence in himself but Madison Hughes for a younger guy in the circuit you know he, he really backs himself and, and does some things for that a lot of, not a lot of young guys would do okay so we can stop it right there for a second uh, uh, first of all because uh, Tolkien is in Vegas scouting players now you know we know that the the national team is is pretty solid in a lot of areas but he's still out there scouting players and i i don't know necessarily i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily go to him and say this is a pr stunt i mean it wouldn't go so far to say that but the idea it's important for your national team coach to be seen watching players it's important for players to be seen but the the coach See, be seen at different games, watching players, looking at how they're developing. I think that's important too, just in sort of the buy-in for players. But you know, he he's still looking for some depth. He's still looking for some players to jump out for him, and uh, he's looking for athletes. But you always will hear he uses the word guts. Some players with guts in them. That doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be tough, physically, you know, physically angry, aggressive. Although he likes that, it's also about um you know having confidence in your ability it's it's also about not giving up not uh not backing down and if your your way of expressing yourself is through speed and elusiveness you don't back down no matter what um and that's that's why he likes someone like Luke Hume who is very much like that uh kind of player um and Madison Hughes breaking through i i, I think he's happy to see what Madison Hughes is doing um i think that's important because we'll be talking about scrum halves a little bit later, and I think Madison Hughes is in that uh, in that conversation. But the other thing that's going on in the LVI, remember, it's not just about sevens. There is fifteens going on as well, and there were there were some uh, uh, there were some PRP games uh, played in Las Vegas. There were some other fifteens challenge matches played. 
Um, and in the end, uh, your national team coach, the Eagles national team coach, he's really, uh, really that's where he's going to find his players is he has to go to the domestic competition. And the domestic competition is the club competition, the D1 and then the PRP and ARP. He's stuck with that unless someone, you know, okay, yeah, collegiate championships, there are college players and, and uh, um, collegiate All-Americans. It's part of the pathway, certainly. But unless a player goes overseas and develops himself, when, when, when he gets a rash of injuries at a position, he's got to go to the club element of the game to find a replacement um i don't envy that him that at all here's more about that part of it i watching some of the club games as well how do you feel about the domestic club competition as it is right now the, the arp and the prp and some of the other set and then d1 sort of filtering around that well, this year, with the PRP underway now, um, some games have shown some good pace to them and some good structure. I thought Ambeck uh, Olympic uh, was a good game yesterday. I thought they had some good structure. Ambeck uh, especially showed it, but um, Olympic Club had two bad starts to their uh, season. But yesterday they played a real, real good, tough game against Ambeck. And uh, I saw a couple of teams do the same. You know, the, the Golden Gate uh, game against Denver was a good game, had some pace to it. So uh, I think things are back, going back to crawling up to their position in terms of uh, skill, uh, talent. So, so are we not throwing our hands up now and saying, you know, club rugby's a mess? I mean, is it less of a mess now? Less of, in terms of talent identification? Yeah, I think we, I think we have a ways to go, but they're, they're moving in the right direction. Um, okay. I, I think we're getting back towards the, the Super League but when it was in its prime. This is building back to it. Okay, good. Well, I guess that's good news, right? He's uh, not feeling like he's behind the eight ball completely in trying to, to observe players in a, a high-level 15s environment if he feels like the club level is is okay. We know that okay for the United States is still nowhere near good enough, uh, but it's better than it was, so maybe the structure that's there, at least from the national team coach's perspective, maybe that structure can be built upon and we continue to have that. I mean, I personally think that at some point we've got to accept that there are clubs that are, for want of a better term, major league clubs, premiership clubs, and there are clubs that are not. If you want to be a major league club, then you have to... Do a few things to earn your way there, but if you're not, then you should be accepting of the fact that your team is really kind of a feeder, should be a feeder for someone else. That your players, your very best players, should be aspiring to go play somewhere else. Ideally, of course, money would be involved, but even if we ended up uh, following kind of that... uh, that Seattle Saracens SFGG model, which is that uh, players can come someplace, get set up with either a job or maybe they'll be they're working also in coaching and uh, and helping with youth programs, things like that. There's lots of different ways that you can make someone, and it's more of a Canadian model, by the way, um, make someone kind of a full-time player um, by giving him or her a job. Uh, coaching and and running youth programs on the side and things like that, um, 
but you have to expect that uh, right now uh, we only get better by acknowledging that some are better than others same goes for the players I guess and uh, we talk a little bit about the domestic players really the forwards camp um, Justin Fitzpatrick had said that it had gone very well this was just mainly domestic based forwards had come together to work on some stuff without a game ahead of them Fitzpatrick said they covered a lot of ground I wanted to see what uh, Coach Tolkien had to say about it as well uh, how did you, you had a uh, forwards assembly uh, some interesting new younger faces in there um, what did you see in that you know how did you feel about it I thought it was great because what we did was we put six hours of, of scrum and, and line out work into three days that would normally take two and a half weeks of assembly time or three camps uh, so we got a lot of mileage out of that and I think the repetition of, of best practices was really important uh, concentration on new aspects of how we're doing things in scrums both individually and as a pack uh, it was really invaluable okay good World Cup year um, it is you know it's always the idea you know you, we, we talk about building building toward that so you've got your uh, you, you've got that tour set up for South America yeah uh, and, and then you have now July games um, Can-Am series you know, how, how do you feel about your build up what am I missing in those games? I'm not sure I'm sure I'm missing something. But, you know, how do you feel about the build-up overall? Um, you know, is there something on your wish list? Uh, I hope I can get my uh, premiership players released. That's my big wish list sure. um, because we haven't had them in some time. Um, I like the I like the way the the, the schedule is, is built. You know, we have our we have a forwards camp, we have a February camp, we have our April tour. Guys will come back, they'll play in their championships, and 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 then have some rest and fitness, topping off, and then we go right into seven games to show what players can do. Put the hand up, gel as a squad, and then it's off to the World Cup. Okay. So. Uh, uh, you know, we, we, we spent a lot of time thinking about how we were going to do this and planning it, and, uh, you know, we think we have a good roadmap ahead of us. Um, I, I received a note from Adam Siddle that he's not playing this year. Correct. And due to uh, repeated concussions, you, I mean, fly half has been a question mark. And, and he accentuated that question mark. What are you doing about that position? Well, we have, uh, first thing we have um, Toby Lestrange returning from injury, so that's good. Shalom Suniula has played well in, uh, you know, on tour. He's becoming more and more confident and competent. And uh, AJ McGinty will be coming down at camp, so that's, that's big. He's been playing great. In the uh, with life, uh, Ben Sima is on the younger side, but you know he'll be in in the mix and he'll be at camp. So I think we you know we have some potential solutions there, and uh, it's a position like front row that you just never you never keep stocking. Yeah, that's right. You know, and uh, you know, and it's always a work in progress. I don't care what country you're in. Yeah. You know, and uh, that's just we, we're just constantly on the lookout. But we think we have some competent people there to step in. At, are you at some point saying? I'm going to pick my guy or I'm going to whether it's even like your back line before the World Cup are you going to have and we look back at 2011 um, where there were some unsettled positions going right into the World Cup uh, do, how early do you want to settle things? 
I especially want to settle things with our halfbacks. You know, they're running the show, and, you know, especially if guys are, are coming back from injury or just joining the squad, we want to get that settled. Um, I think we want, we want to get it settled pretty... It, it, it's going to be tougher than 2011 because we have a lot more depth. If you throw some of the sevens boys in the mix, sure. back three, you know, you almost have two sets of back threes. You have five or six centers to choose from now. Um, you know, back rows, a crowded area as well. Yeah. Uh, so we have, we have a lot of... Mark, so we we basically want to use the summer, the PNC, to see where guys are, and then once we finish that, then we kind of get into you know who we're going to be rolling out. What's your philosophy in the World Cup in terms of playing players? And you talk about the the depth, um, and I, I go back to the great the quote I remember from Tom Phillips in the 2003 World Cup was, "This isn't little league." So there were players that got five minutes the entire World Cup. Um, there were players who got no minutes, and there were players that played the entire thing. Um, but at the same time, you can also have a situation where, you know, you know, this guy's been working really hard. He deserves a start. You know, he deserves to say, "I played in the World Cup," something like that. And and I, there's there's validity to both of those viewpoints. So, I mean, w w where do you fall on that? We we would never put. I would never put a guy in who. I said he deserves to play in the World Cup if we didn't believe that it wasn't for the best interest of the team. It is, you know, without question, the players who are going to get the results done or as close to them as we as we want. So the, the spots 24 to 31 that we select for the squad are probably the most important because they, they could be guys who get zero to very little playing time over a long period of time together. So if, if those guys start to rock the boat a little bit because they're not playing, it, it becomes a, uh, a, a distracted squad in camp. So our, our approach is we're going to do what it takes to win games, and this is this is international rugby, it's the World Cup, it's professional, it's it's full on. Okay. Okay. So there's a lot in there from from that little segment. First of all, um, how I I think that's really important. The idea of in the end who a coach picks. It 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 goes back to the old thing about uh, you know you you want you want chemistry guys you want team guys but you can get away with having a guy who maybe isn't the best teammate if he's one of your best players um, because generally you'll be playing him and he'll be happy so you can sort of get away with that and there's the old joke. Um, uh, you know, I don't know if it's a joke. It's a story when they were talking about, uh, you know, a, a player from the NFL getting cut because he fell asleep in the meeting. And uh, somebody asked Jimmy Johnson when you were coaching the Dallas Cowboys, uh, and if Troy Aikman had fallen asleep in a meeting, what would you have done? And he said he would have gone, snaps his fingers, "Hey Troy, wake up." So it, it, there's a different set of rules, of course, for the big stars. Um, and uh, as opposed to the uh, the lesser stars, if you're filling out that roster, you need team guys. You need guys who will come through with anything they can, any any level of effort that that they can possibly give. But at the same time, they're going to have to be content with the fact that their times are not going to play. 
That's an extremely difficult situation to be in. Who doesn't want to play? That's the whole point. That's why people do this. And mo- almost all rugby players in, in America or, or for the United States are amateurs. So they're playing because they love doing it. They get some fulfillment out of actually playing. They train. They train really hard so they can play better. So they can play. They don't train because training is just fun. Although I think some people like it. They want to play. You want to go to the World Cup. You want to step on that field. Not everybody is really going to be able to do that. I kind of hope, I mean, I really hope for all the players, whenever they're on a World Cup squad, that they get to step on the field. doesn't always happen. Todd Clever didn't do it in 2003. So uh, you, because of that, you have to get a very specific kind of personality. That's what Coach Tolkien is saying. And I think the unspoken part of that is that if you... If you have a choice now at the end, you've got uh, your positions full. You have, for example, let, let, let's pick an example. And I, 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 I was going to not pick about, talk about actual players and be hypothetical. I'm too convoluted to be hypothetical. So let's say you've got all your wingers together. You've got Brett Thompson healthy. You've got Blaine Scully healthy. You've got... Uh, Tim Stanfield, and you feel he's really uh, locked in. And then you're thinking, do I get Taku Nguenya in there? Well, Taku Nguenya is a terrific talent. But what happens if you get him on the team and then he doesn't play? Is he more... Would he be more difficult to have on the team than, say, Tim Maupin? If you sat, sat down and said, thanks, you know, Tim... Glad you're available. Chances of you playing are slim to none. But you might get five minutes. I think perhaps, while as I said, no one likes to be in that position, some people would accept it more than others. So that's that's a decision he's going to have to make at some point. Um, and that's a decision that could bite him in the butt. Because you do that, uh, based on the fact that you think that, for example, Brett, Sh- Brett Thompson's shoulder is fine, um, and then two weeks before the World Cup he hurts it, and then you have to go crawling back to a player you overlooked because of his potentially because of his attitude, and uh, and and I'm not saying Taku Nguyen has a bad attitude. I I, I think he potentially. I mean, the, the attitude he's shown and the way he played uh, in the the falter was great, but. Um, just using him, these names as, as hypotheticals, uh, yeah, you might have to go back to someone and say, I know I ignored you, now I want you. It's, that's the difficult life. That's why he's the head coach. But the other part that's kind of almost scary to me, um, and it's and it's not, I don't think it's Mike Tolkien's fault, but what's scary to me is the idea that uh, USA does not have a fly half, a set fly half, a set number 10, um, February of a Rugby World Cup year. And it's not like where we were in New Zealand where pretty much everybody say, plays the same pattern and everybody else is so dialed in that if Dan Carter gets hurt, they're still going to be great. Uh, we don't. Adam Siddle seemed to be set that he, despite all the trials and other people, he was probably potentially going to be the guy because his goal-kicking was so good and he's physically strong and he, and, and he ran the offense well enough. 
but he's had these concussions and he's not going to play and he's taken himself out of the running. It's tremendously difficult decision for any player to make, probably the smart one. Um, I applaud him for it, but that, that doesn't leave the Eagles without anybody. It leaves Tolkien with a variety of candidates, as he said, Toby Lestrange, Shalom Suniola, Ash McGinty, potentially Ben Sima. We know that's not going to happen. Ben Sima is for, you know, 2019 really. Uh, and McGinty, if if Bruce were here, Bruce McLean would say McGinty's the guy, McGinty's going to happen, everything like that. Probably, but we haven't seen him in international competition. We have to see him in international competition. We haven't because he wasn't eligible. Now he's re- eligible by residency. But it's still a tough thing to do it in a World Cup year. Okay, so looking ahead, we talk about Ben Siemens it's saying 2019. What about 2019? Because I, I, I think that Mike Tolkien, um, he, I, I think he wants to stick around. I think, I, I, I would hope that USA Rugby wants him to stick around. I, I, I think that we're actually just getting started in terms of building a real program with a, uh, trying to get high performance oversight and 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 better uh, assistance in terms of uh, scouting players and developing players and and getting the club structure right and all those things that 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 funnel into it. Um, wouldn't Mike Tolkien be the guy also to think about 2019? He has to think about 2019. Um, and players who are really young right now. So I asked him about that. Uh, I want to finish up with uh, a, a nod to sort of my demographic at Golf Rugby Report, which is uh, high school players and college players. And um, we're talking now World Cup 2019, World Cup 2024, 23. What are you you seeing when you see high school players, and you see some of these college players here in Vegas, there's a ton of them, the the young talent out there, do you think that, you know, the selection choices are going to get harder? Do you feel that the, the talent pool is deepening? First of all, and second of all, what does a young player need to do? What, what, what are the young players sort of missing the boat on in terms of getting themselves ready to play, to be an international rugby player? Yeah, I think 19. You know, we're looking at guys now who are, you know, who might be 20 years old who are going to be in their prime at the 2019 World Cup. So they have to start, and 18-year-olds have to start really preparing that way. I think the biggest thing is uh, is mental. Believe it or not. You know, they have to know that their training has to reflect how they're going to play. There are no shortcuts to their training, what they have to do, and it has to be on a daily basis. Second thing is mentally is in-game. When they're, when they're winning big in club matches or high school or college because they're in a better program, they have to continue to be disciplined and keep the hammer down. You know, I think right now that that's the area that we need to improve on, full games. And I think sevens, I think... If you go to U.S. soccer, you know, they have a similar problem about guys closing out games. Um, but I think that's discipline and training, demanding more, and, and, and being accountable to themselves and their teammates. Good. Mike, thank you very much. Anytime. Anytime. Closing out games. And I guess that speaks a little bit to the difference in American sports, uh, between American sports and sports overseas that, uh, you know, we're, we're so, 
we're so wary of the blowout. We talk about the blowout, and we talk about, uh, you know, um, running up the score and how that's disrespectful. And uh, pretty much everywhere else, it's the other way around. It's disrespectful to phone it in. Um, you don't expect a team at the World Cup that is behind 85 to 7 to get upset when the other team scores another try. What are they supposed to do? They're supposed to just fall over? Um, it's it, it, it doesn't make sense. It's it, I, I've tried to have that done in games. It, it doesn't work. Uh, but what Tolkien is talking about is the idea that that players are winning big and then they just cruise through it. The reason that some of the, the, the college teams we see win by such massive margins, um, Central Washington has been doing that quite a bit lately, Cal, BYU, Life, um, Arkansas State, St. Mary's, of course. The reason they win by these massive margins sometimes is because they stay focused and they stay on track and they stay on plan and they stay disciplined. And that's what a national team coach is looking for. Uh, anybody can be on a good team that runs up uh, 25 points uh, in the first 15 minutes and then goes in cruise control, doesn't really work very hard and doesn't hit rucks. Your national team coach is watching to see how you're doing even when you're up 75 to nothing. Uh, this is the Rugby Matrix America show uh, sponsored by Aircraft Charter Solutions. I'm Alex Goff from Golf Rugby Report. And just me this time. I decided to just do a solo one. Uh, but uh, Pat and Bruce will be back on the show next time. Um, the USA 7s team, the USA men's 7s team, uh, you know, I, I might talk a little bit about women's stuff um, before we go into the men. Because we never talk about women's rugby because Pat and Bruce don't want to. Um, uh, the the women's tournament, uh, there was a women's sevens tournament in Las Vegas. Several women's tournaments. But the big one, the women's elite, uh, was was interesting. Um, the Netherlands won. They're a very good team. And a very popular team for some reason. They beat one of the Canadian teams that were there. There were a lot of Canadian teams there. Uh, Serevi had kind of a USA development team. The Stars had kind of a USA development team. But given how poorly the USA women's team has been playing of late, uh, getting results that are... I've actually got this written down, so here we go. So far this season, they finished 6th and 7th. Last year, uh, they finished... They won the plate twice. That's 5th. That's the best finish they had in uh, in a tournament last year. And they finished 7th, 9th, which is the bowl, winning the bowl, and 11th out of 12 teams, mind you, uh, through that entire season. So here's a team that routinely was thought of as one of the better teams in the world for a while, has undergone a lot of player turnover, has a bunch of crossover athletes who don't play that much rugby, and they're not in Las Vegas. Um, I think that's, that just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, 
we're in the process of asking a number of questions uh, from Rick Suggett, the head coach. That's one of the questions, and and I'm just I'm just having a hard time thinking. If you say it's not in the budget, well, it was in the budget for uh, you know a team from Saskatchewan to drive down. I think the national team can figure it out, get on a bus and and drive to Las Vegas. Um, it was in my budget to go, and. Um, I don't know. It was in the budget of the Tennessee TriStar team, who took two teams. It was in the budget of Atlantis, which took nine teams there. And yes, people pay. I realize that. But um, USA women's team should have been there. The USA women's team has never won the women's elite in Las Vegas. They won it in San Diego. They have, And when they were playing their national team there, they were fielding their national team. They've never won it, and uh, I, I, I just don't see why that's not thought of as a valuable experience. It was a valuable experience for the the men's team, and uh, you know they they did pretty well. They almost won their pool. They came second in their pool. They beat, uh, and, and the reason they came second in their pool is because they didn't play great against Portugal and they got some crummy calls against Portugal, but they, they beat Portugal. They destroyed Japan. We knew that this is what they should be doing. Then they tied South Africa. That all looked great. They, they lucked out a teensy tiny bit in that they were matched up with pool B and Pool B was one of those great pools where everybody beat everybody by a, a small margin. And in the end, Canada, who'd been playing horribly, won the pool. And so Canada goes in, not really in the best of form, despite winning the pool. That's the way seven sometimes goes. And they play the USA in the quarterfinal. That was the most gratifying uh, game for me, watching that game against Canada, because they they out-physicaled them, they out-gridded them, they shut them out, and when they had the tiniest inkling of a try, they scored it. Danny Barrett in the corner. They then ended up scoring three tries almost exactly the same way, right down the left tram line, into the corner, um, realizing that that's what they were getting. That's what they took. They ended up winning 20 to nothing. Uh, I loved that game. I thought they looked great. That put them in the top four. First time they were in the top four since 2010. Um, but three days uh, three days on a tournament is very difficult. Finishing up your three days against New Zealand and then South Africa is pretty difficult too. And I also think that the USA has never been in this uh, third, fourth game. And let's talk about closing games out. One of the things uh, that that Mike Tolkien talked about. Um, one of one of the reasons I think that the Eagles are are playing good sevens is that they've closed games out. That they've been up say twenty four twelve and they've scored uh, three tries or yeah, yeah three tries to win for like forty one twelve. That's not actually what they've done, but close. Um, because I think it was like thirty eight. 12 against Wales one time. And that they they've done that they did that with uh with Japan. They gave up a couple of tries, kind of soft tries to Japan near the end of the game that they were going to win anyway and then they went and scored again. And I think that they're learning to beat teams that they should beat and beat them. 
by big scores. That actually does show that they're playing well. The the kind of the the meltdown against uh, Scotland in Wellington was a little bit more of an anomaly for them. Uh, but I but I think you learn something about you know a third fourth game, the sixth game of the tournament. Eagles don't play six games in the tournament very often. Um. And to play the sixth game to win third, I, I I think it's a little difficult to just turn around and say, you know, this is going to be something that you have to bite and scrape and claw for the same way you have to do that on the, th- you know, the, the, the third game of pool play on day one. Um, and I think that they were a little bit taken aback. They didn't, they didn't play well, and they got toasted by South Africa in last, last game. Uh, that's a lesson. Mike Friday said to me, I hate to lose, but sometimes it's how you learn. Uh, and and that was a lesson, not just about closing out a game, but closing out a tournament. Uh, even so, top four, they finished fourth, they moved up to seventh in the standings. All of that is good news. I think the the thing I I, I mitigate that with is, is the idea that they were actually a little bit fortunate in their pool. Now they earned their luck because they'd been playing well, so they got a good draw. Uh, they were a little bit fortunate in their pool, and they were a little bit fortunate in their matchup on quarterfinals. But then again, that's what happened to Canada a year ago. So, really, no complaints. They do need to get better. Uh, finishing fourth does not mean they've arrived. And uh, right after the, the tournament, uh talked to Madison Hughes about that. Let's take the obvious. Not the way you wanted to end it. Uh, what um, what was this day like for you? Was it difficult to just sort of get things rolling after such a great start? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, going into New Zealand, we were really optimistic. We were excited coming off yesterday. Uh, and I think we started the game off exactly how we wanted to. Uh, and then we kind of got derailed a bit, got out of our rhythm, um, and allowed some small mistakes to creep into our game, which ended up costing us. I think we fought the whole New Zealand game. I'm really proud of how the boys fought. I mean, I think just had a couple too many mistakes. And when you play the All Blacks, they're going to exploit them. Um, so we just came up a little short in that game, and that was disappointing. I think, yeah, everyone's really disappointed with uh, how the last game went. Uh, not at all how we wanted to end off the tournament. Um, but I think overall, sum up the weekend, a lot to be proud of, a lot to be excited about. And we'll look to build off this going into the weekend. But I think going into our future trainings, we're going to have a lot to, a lot to look at and say we need to get a lot better. So we've, we've made another step, but there's a whole other way to go. And we're going to be excited about going into those next tournaments. But yeah, definitely not the way we want to finish things off. A lot of people tell me that the culture on the team is light years improved. The guys are getting along, but competitive. Um, is that what you're seeing? You know, what do you think about that, especially as captain, but a guy who's not there all the time? So. Yeah, I mean, so I've been here the whole time since uh, January. Okay. Um, so I've been in residency okay. for the last month or so. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the culture's really good right now. We've got a really good bond um, between our guys and a lot of competition for spots. Um, I think we just need to keep it building, keep it growing. I think... Mike Friday is an absolutely incredible coach. Chris Brown also doing a really, really good job. Um, they've improved our self-belief, improved our team unity, uh, and that's only going to help us grow and keep going forward. Um, we need to keep building. I think the South Africa game exposed some of our weaknesses, and we're going to be looking to improve upon those um, because it's a long season. Uh, and fourth isn't where we want to be. I mean, good teams will exploit your mistakes, and we need to keep getting better to, to show we can live with them on a consistent basis. One, one last thing. What does it mean to you to play with this kind of crowd, this kind of... Fans, where you get you get to play well at home, 
and have people there cheering for you? What does it feel like? Yeah, I mean, the fan support all weekend was absolutely fantastic, and I think it really lifted the boys all weekend. We wanted to do well for ourselves, for our group, but also because of all these incredible fans here, all the incredible fans tweeting about stuff on TV even. Like, we had such incredible support all weekend, and we were really proud to represent our country, and I think in this environment you only get to this once a year and it was my first time here in Vegas so definitely something to get really excited about the fans were absolutely amazing um, and yeah I think the last game one of the biggest frustrations for us was that we weren't able to show the fans how much it meant to us to play in front of them I mean you don't get many opportunities to do it here and I think that last game we really let an opportunity slip by and we're a bit disappointed with that so they're disappointed we I mean in the end what, what was the the quote there uh Fourth is not where we want to be. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine over the past few years um, somebody saying that when we've been talking about uh, the USA team trying to stay on the circuit where there's a legitimate concern that uh, they won't stay on the circuit. Um, And now we're talking about when they finish fourth and they're upset about it. That's great. I mean, that's what we want this team to do. They moved up to seventh. They could go up as high as six. I think they could get uh, six at the end of the season. I don't think they're going to get fourth. Uh, they'd have to do something pretty special to do that. But you never know. Uh, at, um, conversely, e- even though they they got the top eight this year, this time, this weekend, uh, Canada, something's going on there. Uh, they have a lot of the same players that they've had for a while. Um but they have missed two of their major playmakers in Phil Mack and Nathan Hirayama, uh, and they didn't ha- They just don't have anyone to back them up. And and I think one of the biggest Im- improvements for the U.S. national team on sevens for the men has been the depth. So if uh, if this team that finished fourth in Las Vegas gets abducted by aliens tomorrow, uh, and remember they were pretty near Area 51, so you never know. Uh, they could put a team on the field for the next tournament. Uh, They wouldn't do as well, but they wouldn't be bad. And there would be a bunch of players on there who could play. Um, And they'd probably have a quick hotline phone call to someone like Mike Palafow and say, please come, uh, something like that. Uh, That's something that Canada kind of failed to do. And there's some frustration up north about the fact that their elite-level high school-age teams, British Columbia being the most obvious, but uh, uh, Ontario program, the Toronto uh, local program, the, the, the Edmonton select side program, the upright uh, Dog River Howlers, who we didn't see in Vegas this time around, don't know why, um, all of those programs are developing young players and then they're kind of falling off this development cliff. We're not really seeing them go anywhere. They just started. They, they, they sent a development team down to South America, which did actually quite poorly, but at least they're playing. Um, so here's one for the United States that they're actually doing that right. So uh, big stuff going on this year. USA uh, men's sevens teams got to qualify for the Olympics, and right now they're looking good enough to do that. USA women's teams got to qualify for the Olympics, something we thought was probably going to be for sure. Right now, the strategy there is let's hope that Canada finishes in the top four, then they then they qualify. But then they're not good enough to beat Canada, and they're barely good enough to beat Fiji. Um, they need to be better. 
and the USA uh, men's team has got the World Cup. And and I feel as good as I felt since 2003 about the team we have and the the solidity behind the coaching and what they what their build up is going to be. The major questions for me are, you know, I, I suppose depth at hooker and more importantly, most egregiously importantly, who's going to be the fly half. And we know Mike Tolkien is trying to figure that out as well. Hopefully he'll figure it out this spring. Well, that's going to be it for this edition of Rugby Matrix America. I almost said Golf Rugby Report. I don't know what's wrong with me. Uh, Golf Rugby Report, of course, is where I, I write my stuff uh, and also where Jackie Finland writes. And you got to see the stuff she's doing on the women's side, especially. Um, just uh, terrific coverage. And uh, Pat and Bruce will be back next time, I promise. Don't forget to check out Rugby Matrix International at RugbyMatrix.com and... You can always see the Rugged Matrix America show there, also on Golf Rugby Report, or check it out on iTunes. And uh, thanks for Mike Tolkien and Madison Hughes for taking the time to chat with us. And thank you for listening to Rugged Matrix America.